obviously, like, I'd love to be a world-class runner. Like, I love it. Like, that'd be awesome. But, like, I know, like, there's so much more in my life and so many more things I can do. And, like, my life isn't just running, you know? And I was, like, obviously, like, I knew I'd, like, miss running. I would try to admit that. But I really did feel content. But I'd still have this feeling. And I'm like, well, it's over now. Like, it's officially over. I'm done. I'm running, like, 40 miles a week just kind of having fun. Like, I'm not competing. But it, it did never really went away and then I don't really know I just I really just fell into the marathon that's CJ Albertson and this is episode 97 of the morning shakeout podcast What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and every week on this show, I sit down with athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running for long-form conversations that will educate you, inspire you, or impact you in some way. My guest this week is CJ Albertson. I first learned about CJ from a reader of the Morning Shakeout newsletter who told me to check out some of the runs that he was putting up on Strava, like multiple solo 30-ish mile training runs averaging in the range of 515 to 520 per mile. So I started following CJ in his build-up to CIM last December, where I then watched him run a personal best of 213.40 to finish a close second behind Kenyan Alicia Barno. I think CJ is one of the most intriguing athletes heading into the Olympic trials at the end of February, and I really enjoyed getting to learn more about him. The 26-year-old ran 217.59 last April to break the indoor marathon world record, and he's broken 220 in each of the five marathons he's competed in, most of them lower-key efforts near where he lives in Clovis, California. In this conversation, we talked about his unorthodox training methods and how, as a collegiate coach at Clovis Community College, he's careful not to let his own training influence that of his athletes. He told me about his independent streak and tendency to push things to the extreme. We got into the race that sparked his return to competitive running after an up-and-down collegiate career at Arizona State. We discussed self-experimentation and some of the crazy things he's tried to help him recover faster. He also told me about his wife, Chelsea, a fellow Olympic trials marathon qualifier and how she's his secret weapon on race day and a whole lot more. CJ is a really interesting dude and an incredible athlete. I'm delighted to share this conversation with you. So let's dive right into it. CJ Albertson, welcome to Morning Shakeout Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks. Glad to be on. We're here at Clovis Community College where you work. You are a part-time professor here. You also coach cross-country. How long have you been involved with the school? Uh, this is my second year. The uh, cross-country program started last fall um, and then obviously continued into this fall. And then uh, this um, spring 2020 season, we're starting our first track track season, so... Yeah, it's been a year and a half, and it's been fun so far. Like first in school history, as in it didn't exist before you got here? Yeah, so this is a very new school. Uh, I think the college has been its own college for five years, maybe, somewhere around there. So we have swimming, soccer, um, and cross country, and now track and field. Those are the four sports. Um, so yeah, brand new. Pretty much everything here is brand new. So And you're also teaching here at the school? Yeah, so I'm a health um, PE um, adjunct professor. And what does that look like from a time commitment standpoint? Is it full-time? Is it part-time? I'd love to understand that a little more. <laughs> yeah, it's part-time. So 
um, I'm a coach and then I'm a part-time professor. Um, so typically that equates to it's, it's 10 units of a load um, or 10 load units. So around three classes, um, just depending on what type of classes you teach. Yeah. Let's dig into the coaching side of it a little bit with this being a new program when you took it on. Was that something that you were excited about, a little scared about, maybe a little bit of both as you were jumping into it? I mean, you're only, what, 25, 26 years old? Yeah, I'm 26 now. Uh, I started when I was 24 my first day. So, yeah, so definitely both, all those emotions. Um, It's really cool starting something new um, and definitely starting something new where you can see where there can be a lot of potential Um, here in the Central Valley um, and just in this 10 mile radius, there's a lot of good, good talent, um, and also just a lot of support in the running community. So, you know, it's a great place to start a program. And also I have a lot of support here just because I grew up here. This is my hometown. Um, you know, I grew up a mile and a half from this campus and went to high school, you know, everything I did was from here. And so, you know, I, I knew like any challenges that I all that I did face and that I'm going to continue facing, I have a lot of support to help me, um, not only from our staff here at the college, but also from the, just all the people in the community, my, you know, high school coaches, just people that are big into running, you know, just so many people. So um, it kind of like eliminates some of those fears, you know, some of the cons, and you can just kind of focus on the the big picture and the potential of, of what this could be. So yeah, it's been really exciting. I've been having a lot of fun this past year and a half. Um, and I'm really competitive. So, you know, anytime you have a new program, you're not going to be like the best right off the bat, um, even though that's what I want. So it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, you just have to, you have to keep that competitive drive and, um, you know, create high standards while also realizing like, you're going to have to start from nothing. Um, and, you know, so there's going to be a learning curve and it's just going to take time. Um, but you know, it's fun to have that challenge and, um, fun to have that challenge with the support that I have. You graduated from Arizona state yourself, what, five years ago or so? Uh, I think three years. Only, only three years ago. Okay. So so (laughs) did you know that when you finished up at Arizona state that you wanted to get into coaching right away? Or was this sort of an opportunity because it's close to where you grew up that might have fell into your lap? Both. Well, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. I was coaching um, at a a high school in Santa Clarita, West Ranch High School, um, out of college. Um, And that was a great experience. I loved it. Um, I did. It was always in the back of my mind, even in college, that I would love to coach at the community college level. Um, That's part of the reason I got my master's. Um, so that I, I would have that opportunity if it, if it came up. Um, and I didn't know that this school was going to start. And, and st- Well, actually, no, I found out that this college um, started, and I, I didn't know if they'd ever have sports or not. But in the back of my mind, I was like, if they ever do, like, I want to – that would just be, be awesome if it. I could be a part of it. From the ground um, level. Yeah. And so that was like a year or two before I even graduated. So then when the opportunity actually came up, it's like, whoa, this is – this is real life. Like it's happening. Like, so I applied for the job and then I got it. Um, so what was it about coaching at the community college level that attracted you? That's really unique in that you wanted to go that route and not to a bigger university. The community college level is, I think there's just a lot of benefits to coaching there. Um, I think the, I think the age I just like, um, 
I like high school age as, as well, but the, the community college is just, you know, you get those kids right out of high school. They're a little bit more mature, but then, you know, they also have to figure out life. So it's like that, that's hard. Um, but I like working with, with people um, in that situation. Um, and then logistically, just from a, a personal standpoint, you know, coaching at the community college, it's not as, um, you know, I'm not traveling all across the country recruiting one because I can't, I can only recruit in state and really mainly only recruit in my area, um, which just makes it nicer. I mean, I hope to have a family one day, uh, you know, with my wife, I hope we have kids and, um, I just didn't really want to be at a big time university where I'm gone every single weekend all across the country, um, because I want to be able to have some time with my kids. Um, but I also want to be able to, you know, coach and coach some competitive athletes as well. So community college just seemed like the perfect balance of that, where, you know, you can coach those kids that are kind of maturing and, and transitioning into college, which I wanted to do, but I, I didn't necessarily want to go to a big time program. So you have these kids for two years, more or less when they're here, what do you hope to achieve with them in their time at Clovis? Mm. Uh, it's it's tough. I mean, only having them for well, if I get them for two years, that's that's actually good. I think um, a lot of times you'll just have a kid for a season or um, one year. You know, you never really know what's what's going to happen. But uh, the big thing for me is just getting them to just really find their value, whatever that is. I mean, I look at all my athletes; they're they're all people first, and you know, I. I try to view all my athletes as just like incredible people, like just great humans that have the potential to to do great things and just positively impact the people around them. And they may not be at that point yet where they have everything figured out and where, you know, they, they have it all together and they, they know exactly what they want to do and how they can help. Um, but I believe that that's like in there. And, and a lot of times, you know, maybe they've like messed up or like they've just haven't made great decisions um, or they're just kind of just kind of going through life without much direction. Um, it's hard for them to see in themselves that like greatness and that potential that they have and their value and their importance to, you know, society, or at least like the people that are close to them. And, and so I just try to help them realize that, that like, Hey, when you're on this team, like you matter, you're important, like doesn't really matter how fast you are. I mean, that does matter because we're racing, but but as as a person, like you have value, you have something to offer. You contribute much more than just your race times. Yeah, exactly. Like you contribute that to the team, and and hopefully that will spread to their lives. Like, hey, like I matter to my family, I matter to my friends, I matter to my coworkers. Um, and so, once they believe that they do matter, then you can start to help them logistically. Like, okay, what can you do to to be the best version of yourself? Um, so that's what I try to do. I mean. It, I'm a year and a half into this community college <laughs> coaching, so definitely don't have it figured out. Uh, you know, I'm not leading kids. Like I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what to do, but that's that's my ultimate goal and what I hope to achieve as a coach. Have you had coaches throughout your career who have instilled that philosophy in you, or is it something that you've kind of landed upon after like years of running in high school and then in college and coming in contact with different people along the way? Yeah, so I mostly, I'd say probably all my coaches <laughs> instilled that, um, at least that's in, in, in some degree or, or form. But I mean, I've always thought that since birth, basically, or since I was five years old playing sports, that I've just always had the best coaches. Like I've just been, 
I don't know if I'm just lucky or if I'm just optimistic, but I've just always thought like I have great coaches, like elementary school. Um, I remember my cross country coaches and like they were just awesome. And it's like, who has good elementary cross country coaches? I mean, a lot of them are just out there, like they're nice and they're fun and they motivate you, but like they were nice, fun, motivated me and knew stuff about running. And like, you know, like I didn't run a ton in elementary school, but they, I ran what was appropriate. Um, and it was just always, and then in the junior high and high school, I just always had great coaches that um, just instilled or reminded me of like who I was as a as a person too, um, and just kept running fun. And there was always that kind of underlying principle of like you know life is more than just running. Um, even in college, I mean, I struggled in college my first couple of years, and. Uh, Performance wise, I mean, when you go to a Pac-12 school, a lot of things are on performance, um, especially because I was on scholarship and I wasn't performing. Um, I ran pretty terrible my first two years and I was one of only a few guys that were on scholarship. So it's like you can't really not perform and be having all this money, too. At least that's what I thought. But my coach was just um, Louis Quintana, who's now at Oregon State. He was just always just he was just a great guy. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Um, and just, just kept that belief in me and like, just kept it, kept it as, as fun and relaxed, you know, they're still competitive too, but just, I don't know, just the way he was and his attitude towards me, I think allowed me to, to eventually get out of that running slump or funk or whatever it was and, and continue to develop. And I, I finished out my, um, college career doing all right. It wasn't, what I wanted, but I didn't make a national meet and was third at Pac-12s in the steeplechase. Um, so, I mean, I got better, um, but then it kind of allowed me to continue running post-collegiately. Um, so, yeah, I've just had great coaches all the way. My, my high school coach actually still sends me daily um, Bible verses with his commentary. I mean, and just, he's just always telling me, like, no matter what I do in running, like I got to love my wife better. And he's always asking me if I'm treating my wife right. It's like, you know, that's just kind of the people I've been. Well, those reminders by. are important. And I think there's a lot of things I want to dig into there, but I think it speaks to the importance of the influence of coaches throughout your life. And as far back as to when you were a youth running cross country, I didn't start running till high school, but I still remember my first basketball coaches that I had, or like, you know, t-ball coaches. And they have you at a very like formative time <laughs> in your, in your life. And I think, you know, this is more of a message to like coaches out there too. It's like realize the, the importance that, you know, the, the importance of your role and like how much of an influence you have on the people that you work with, especially when they're youth, but even, you know, through high school and college at a high level, like you were competing at, but even, you know, beyond, even if you're working with just like age group athletes, it's like coaches, you know, they, they, there's a reason like you're working with these people. Um, and you know, you have like, I hate to say like power over them, but, but you do, you have influence on them and, and that will, that will stick. And, and from what I've heard you say, like that's sort of stuck with you throughout your entire life. And it's still something that you carry with you today. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess not everyone is fortunate to like have awesome coaches. Um, but I, you know, was, and so I hope that, um, you know, as I'm a coach, like I can continue to be like all the coaches that have shaped me and just, you know, given me the perspective that I have. Uh, last thing I want to dig into about your previous answer was what Louis Quintana did for you, like kind of midway through your time at Arizona State. You had just talked about how you're a scholarship athlete. You felt this pressure to perform, but you weren't. 
did he help you to kind of remove that self-induced layer of pressure? And the second part of that question is, is that what allowed you to sort of break through a little bit your last few years at ASU? I think the biggest thing that he did was he just allowed me to be myself. He never put any, um, you know, he never put any of those pressures on me, like all that stuff I said about scholarships and stuff. That was all self um, put on. And I mean, and it was reality too. Like that's, you know, like I understand the reality is of the sport, um, but he never, he never made it about that. Um, and, you know, anytime I did have a bad performance, um, you know, it, I never felt like it changed how he looked at me or how he viewed me. Like I knew he felt the same about me no matter what. Um, and that, you know, I could go into his office and we could talk and, and it would be the same every day, no matter if, if I was running great or if I was running terrible. Um, but then when I say he allowed me to be myself, you know, I have, I mean, you, you've seen my Strava, so maybe we'll talk about that, but I, I do just things a little bit differently than maybe like other people do. And, and I've always kind of been like that, just a little, I don't know, odd sometimes, or just the way that I, um, do well, I think sometimes is different. So I've always been in interested in the in the training side of things and the the science of running and the just everything that goes into to coaching and and how to create training plans and all that. So we would have a lot of talks about that, um, and he would he would actually you know towards the tail end of my career like allow me to have input in my own training, um, you know, and even like design workouts or or. Actually, my my last season, I actually wrote pretty much almost all my training, you know, with his guidance, and I didn't just do whatever I wanted, but we communicated with it. But, um, you know, but he's a great coach. I mean, he's coached multiple national champions. I'm just some 20-year-old kid. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but but he saw that it would be beneficial for me to, like, play this this role in my own training and, and kind of do the things that I thought would make me better, um, and just do the things that like I just enjoyed doing. And he worked with me on that um, and kind of allow me to have that, I guess, independence and just kind of valued my opinion, even though he definitely didn't need to. Well, it almost answers my next question because it sounds like he recognized at some point during his relationship with you that you had this independent streak and that for you to perform at your best, he had to kind of allow you to manifest that in its own mm-hmm. way. Yeah, so I don't know exactly what, you know, what he was always thinking in his head. Um, but I know that at the end of the day, he did like, he allowed me to be myself, you know, under his guidance. And he still, I think, you know, had made sure that things were going correctly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I just always felt so comfortable with him. And, and uh, then when I could just be myself and, you know, not worry about what pace I'm running on easy runs, like, you know, do I have to keep it slower than seven minute pace or can I run a little bit? You know, can I push these long runs a little bit harder? You know, can I do these different things? You just kind of like let me like forget about all the little nuances and just let me be myself and be the just be a runner, just have fun. Um, and then, you know, I, I it worked out for me. I mean, it doesn't always work out <laughs> that way for some people that just do random things. But um, but yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you you have to allow people to be who they are while having that balance of doing what you know works too. Um, and I felt like he just really 
fostered um, that in you. Yeah, he, he created that really good balance with me, and I think that's part of what makes a great coach because not every doesn't always work the same for everybody. Have you always had an independent streak? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in high school, so, uh, I remember in high school, I used to work, I used to go to the pool at like 5.15 or so in the morning with the swimmers, and I'd pool run um, a few days a week, and then other days I'd and go And you weren't to on the, the swimming team? No, I didn't swim. I'm a terrible swimmer, so I'm not going to do triathlons. I can't swim. Uh, but... No, I would pool run, so you just run in the deep right. end. Um, I just did a little bit of swimming. But but that then, was all you. You were like, I'm going to go to the pool before school, and I'm going to get in some deep water running. Yeah, I don't know how that worked. I think some. I think people would do it when they were injured. So I'm like, well, I might as well get additional training in. Um, and so I think maybe the first time, maybe I went with someone who was injured. And then a lot of times I was just going by myself. And then I'd convince some other kids on the team to go. Um, but then... And then other days of the week, I'd go to my friend's house who had like a little mini gym in his like kind of like garage side house type thing. Um, And I got some gymnastic uh, gymnastics uh, pads, whatever they use. Basically, so I could drop I was deadlifting so I could drop the weights on the pads. Um, We had some old ones at our high school that my coach let me take. So I'd set up this like deadlifting set in the garage and and deadlift and, and do lifts. Um, and then sometimes even after the lifting session, I'd go pool run in the, in the, um, in my friend's pool. And this was like, it was like 630 in the morning in November. It was freezing. My, my friend's dad loves to tell the story of him just coming out to me and my buddy pool running in the freezing cold. Um, we didn't do that. We only did that for one season. That wasn't like a four year thing. Cause <laughs> there wasn't really much point to that, to be honest. We just kind of did it to be tough. We were high school kids. Where did um, your independent streak come from? At genetics, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I mean, my my dad's side of the family is, I guess, stubborn's a good word. But I mean, they just like they just we just kind of the Albertsons just kind of do what the Albertsons do. I don't know. I mean, so I guess some of it's genetic. Um, and I think that's just who I who I am. Like I just thrive in doing, kind of doing things to the extreme. And you always, I mean, obviously you can run into dangers with that. Um, but when it comes to like exercise type things, I like kind of pushing the limits. And I just, even when I was in junior high, like I'd stay up late and I had all these workout routines that I'd do upstairs. Like I'd download music onto my little laptop and play it and just work out and like work out to music with my dumbbells and doing core and just and this all came from you stuff. yeah it was just fun for me like it wasn't like this like I want to be I mean I did want to be the best but it wasn't like I'm just gonna work harder than everybody it was just most of it was just sheer like entertain I just liked it that's what brought you joy yeah it just was like I just like doing this for some odd reason Actually, I kind of thought that like everyone should like it, so I thought it was weird that people didn't like. Why, why don't you want to come with me in the pool? You would you would normalize <laughs> it for yourself. Yeah, I was to- yeah. Um, I remember one time in high school, my <laughs> coach sat me down. He, he actually came into my car because I'd eat my breakfast in my car after doing the the pool running, waiting for school to start, and he had this talk because I wasn't communicating with him about everything I was doing and. You know, my high school coaches kind of let me be myself too and let me do some of that extra stuff. But they're like, hey, like you have to you have to talk. We have to know what you're doing because if we, you know, we can't 
totally burn you out. So we need to know these extra workouts that you're doing. Like you have to communicate with us. And I should interrupt here. You ran at Buchanan High School, which is, I just talked to Fernando Cabada <laughs> before you and he yeah. ran at Buchanan, was an 859, like two miler by the time he left there. And it's one of the top programs now in California, if not the U.S. So you yeah. were on I mean, a girl, legit team. Yeah. Right? Their girls just won the state meet. Yeah. Um, well, they won state meet and track. They, they won the state talent track and then cross country. They just won the state meet. And so, yeah, obviously they're a great program. We were ninth my, fr- or my freshman year at NXN. So, yeah, it was an established program. Like, these, they, they, my coaches knew what they were doing. So, yeah, they, I mean, it, from talking to Fernando, it doesn't sound like they, they overtrained you running wise. Very much the opposite, I would argue, looking at what some other high school programs do. But it is good to hear that your coaches were looking out for you, realizing, like, okay, like we're giving you, like, you know, still fairly demanding training for, for a high schooler. And we want to know like what other crazy stuff you're doing (laughs) so that we make sure you don't run yourself into the ground. Yeah. So has that independent streak of yours ever gotten you into trouble? You just alluded to how it can for all of us. and, And we've certainly seen examples of that, but has that tendency to do things to the extreme and sort of like follow your own flame gotten you into trouble at any point? I'm sure it has. It's, so I had a, I alluded to it earlier, but kind of like a running slump or just this funk for about two and a half years where I just I just wasn't running well. Um, I didn't come close to any of my PRs. It started my senior year of track. Um, I was running slower than my, my freshman year of high school. And then it kind of carried over into my first two years of college. And I'm not entirely sure where that came from. I, I don't know if it was because of my internal drive and I and I had this like pressure that I put on myself or what it was um I mean my first few years of college I mean I followed the the training plan like exactly like I I did what the other guys did we I ran with them on their easy runs um did exactly what the workouts were I didn't question it like I just did what was there sometimes I'd like bike on my own in the afternoon or something like some easy cross training um so I don't really know how to explain that running funk um but that's the only that's the only time I've really had like negatives in running. I've never I've never had a stress fracture. So no like catastrophic injuries. No, no, no like big that. injuries. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um I was in I was in knock, but I don't know what this is wood. I don't so. think this is wood. This um, is right there. All right. Yeah, so never those big injuries. I'm sure I've been overtrained at times, but you know, I, I don't really know. Um but yeah, I mean I am I don't know if this is like independent independent streak or like an extreme thing but I I do um internalize things a lot or there's just constant chatter in my mind like I'm a very analytical person and logical and I'm just I'm just always thinking which is a a good trait to have sometimes but other times it's very annoying um because I just can't turn my brain off and when I'm having good thought patterns it's great and I can come up with great ideas and I can solve problems but when I'm in bad thought patterns that just multiplies and I can convince, I can, I can make anything sound logical, um, because I'm just good at that. That's, and I can trick myself into thinking anything's logical. So I did have a few years where I was, I was pretty, um, depressed and just kind of in a, in a dark time, like not, not externally, it was all internally. And that just knit those thought patterns in my mind. Like I could turn any situation into like making it seem bad or like I could, no matter what people said to me, like I could turn it into like, it's a negative thing or like, I'm not a, I'm a 
terrible prison. What I don't know. Whatever it was. Is this high school, college? Uh, this was more in college. Okay. Um, actually, even when I was engaged, I went. It was a pretty rough patch. Um, somehow my wife or fiance at the time stayed with me. Um, and now we're married. But yeah, it, so it was. It was kind of like around like a two to three year period on and off in college. Um, and there's no, there, I, there's no cause. I couldn't tell you why. I just sometimes your brain is just weird. And like, especially when you're a thinker and you just, your brain just keeps talking to you. Like, I'm just, I don't know. So I would just create just this constant negative dialogue that would just build on itself over time. How'd you work through that? Uh, I, I don't know. A lot of praying and my wife just, well, she was my girlfriend, fiance at the time, just crying with me. Like, her tears were probably one of the only things that could snap me out of it. Because, I mean, when you're not, when you're kind of depressed, you're also not a very nice person all the time. Or you're just kind of like, maybe to people that are, like, not close to you, you'll be nicer and more cordial with. But normally it affects the people that are closest to you more. So I'd be kind of, like, rude to her, like, just not a pleasant person <laughs> um and eventually it would just wear her down and she'd just start crying and like when she would like sit there like crying in front of me it, like there's something that would like kind of like s- snap me out of it and be like okay, this is like, impacting whoa, someone i care about yeah like i'm like all of a sudden like i could like think straight again and be like okay i need to like stop this um and it wouldn't like change it forever but it could at least snap me out in moments and then maybe she'd get me out of the house and go hang out with people um because that was the worst thing when I'm just when I was alone or like by myself then it's like you're only listening to your own thoughts but when you're with out with other people and kind of forced to do stuff um it keeps you it just limits the amount that you can negatively talk to yourself it doesn't always solve it but it helps a little bit um but yeah and then my, I don't remember what year it was, either my third or fourth year of college, I just got, there was like a two-week period where I was so exhausted because I was so busy. I had a, I had two internships, so we'd practice at like 5.30, and then I'd go to two internships, and then I'd take my master's classes at night, and my car broke down at that time, <laughs> so I, I didn't have a car, and I was trying to borrow people's cars, but then I'd have to take the light rail with my bike and ride around all these different places. And it was just an all day from like 5.30 in the morning to like 9 or 10 at night just doing all this stuff. And I was so tired. I had no time to think. And I literally could not think for like two weeks. I was just exhausted just getting from place to place. And like that just – that was like the best two weeks of my life because I just – it gave me a break from that negative thought pattern. Um, And we were also getting close to like regionals. And so I knew I had to be like at least somewhat emotionally stable to run well because I wanted like (laughs) to contribute to the team. I had been running better and I was like, okay, I can finally have a season where I'm running good. So like I got to, so I don't know, it just kind of all worked out. And then I I got into better thinking patterns. um, And yeah, but I I mean, and I think the, like just so many people just praying for me and um, I think that helped too. And yeah. Last bit on that. Do you think now you're better equipped to identify those negative thought patterns if and when they pop up? Oh, definitely. Because they still happen all the time. I mean, I wake up and sometimes you just, sometimes like you'll just wake up and your first thought will be like something like so negative and like, or something negative about yourself or other people, whatever. And I don't, I don't know why that happens. I mean, it's just humans just sometimes we can't figure out the brain. It's just so complex. Um, so yeah, I can identify it. Um, and usually know how to manage, man. I try to tell myself like, okay, this is like, 
this isn't reality. I'm just, this is just these thoughts are coming into my mind, but they're not like true thoughts. They're just, it's just these dumb voices. And it's still a battle sometimes, um, you know, because you have little funks. But yeah, I definitely, I can definitely handle it better, I think. But it more so helps me identify things in other people or just helps me understand other people because so many people have the same thing or they have it may not be like depression but it's just a negative thought pattern or they think badly about themselves or there's a lot of people listening to this conversation right now who are probably nodding their heads as i am right here (laughs) i'm like yeah that's that's a lot of people i think and i think it helps to hear someone such as yourself talk about this stuff and sort of how you work through it because i think a lot of people are in that same situation Yeah. And so it it just allows me to have conversations with people and share. And it doesn't mean like I can solve any, like if people are like depressed or they're having these issues and they come talk to me, like still have no idea how to solve it. You know, like, like there's, you know, there's therapists and psychologists, but even then it's like, I mean, I don't know, like it, everyone's brain is so weird sometimes, but it's just that like so many people do go through the experience and I think you just have to, you have to have people in your life that are just reminding me, reminding you of, of who you are, like as a person, like, you know, my wife would tell me all the time, like, I'm not, like, I'm not this person, like, this isn't me, that's whatever dark things I'm saying to myself, like, that's not me, like, I was created for something different, like, you know, the incredible people that I try to remind my athletes that they are, like, that's who I am too, despite my thoughts, like, whatever I'm saying to myself, like, that's not, that's not true. That's not who I am. Um, and so if you have, you just have to have someone telling you that and and not everyone has those people telling them that they're great and that they're awesome. And yeah, they may be making decisions that aren't showing that, you know, like, so they don't have a lot of evidence to show you that they're great, but like they, you still have that potential. Um, and that is you, you just maybe not, you haven't reached that greatness yet. Well, I appreciate you sharing all of that. I think it's a good reminder for everyone out there listening to this conversation. But as you just said, yeah, you're not a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist and can't like help someone <laughs> like through the specifics of it. But just telling your story can be helpful because I think it creates a feeling of solidarity and people see themselves in other people's stories. And there might be something like in your story that someone else relates to and it helps them take the first step toward getting help uh, and, you know, working toward, you know, getting over maybe some of these negative thoughts or dark thoughts or, or patterns of, of thinking that, you know, they're engaged with. So, yeah, it is important. I think you got to continue doing that. And obviously, you know, what you just described is something that you can directly apply to your coaching and the people that you're working with on a daily basis. Next, I'd love to get into your propensity to take things to the extreme. And the first place I want to go with that is how do you not let that spill over into your coaching? Because you do direct (laughs) your own training and you do some pretty wild stuff, which we'll get into later in this conversation. But when you're coaching other people and you're guiding them to where they want to go and everyone's got a different starting place, like you can't just use yourself in this end of one (laughs) to be like, all right, this is what I do. So this is what I'm going to give them. But I'm sure that temptation is there. Speaking for myself, that temptation can be there being like, well, this is what worked for me. So I'm going to try, you know, assigning it to to someone else. I'd love to understand how you navigate that type of situation. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, And a good question for people to hear because I don't, I don't (laughs) coach everybody like I train myself. Um, Yeah. So there's kind of two sides to me. Like I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm very analytical and like, I just love researching things. So I know like all the like 
set methods for how to do training and like what all these other coaches have done and what's worked and what's proven to work for the majority of people. So when I coach my athletes, like I base it off that. I base off what's worked for the majority amount of people. And obviously I know myself, some people need different things, but most people aren't going to one, they're not going to love doing the training that I do. That's mainly why I train how I train because I love it. Like that's what gets me out of bed. Like I love my training. But most people, if I say, hey, you're going to run a 50K like hard, they're just, that that's not going to get them out of bed like pumped up. You know, they're not going to be barely sleeping Saturday night because they have this awesome run on Sunday. No, like, they're going to be barely sleeping because they're scared shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so, go so that – so. I know that like not everyone thinks the way I do. They don't enjoy the things I do. They don't respond. Like I know I'm probably the minority. So when I coach, I base it off of what works, like what people have, what great coaches have done, um, you know, the the research. And so that's how I go about it. So most of my training is, is pretty traditional. Um, I do like to experiment, experiment with some things and, and every coach kind of has their own philosophies within this overarching of rules that work. Um, so, you know, I'll put my own little style into things, but yeah, it, it's pretty much like we're going to follow what works. And then if I notice, Hey, you, you may benefit from doing something else, or, you know, this is what works for you. Then I'll, then I'll tweak some things because I know that that's work. That's what worked for me. Um, and tweaking it for other people may look totally different than from how I tweaked it to fit myself. Um, but yeah, so my coaching is, it's not, it's not going to be anything close to a replica of what I do personally, because I'm not, I'm not training 30 people that are exactly like me. Hey, we're taking a quick break to thank Final Surge for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I've been using Final Surge for the past two and a half years to run the coaching side of my business, as well as plan my own training, and it's been a game changer for me and my athletes. The coaching tools have made planning and delivering training easy and seamless. Communication is completely streamlined into one easy-to-navigate portal, and it's made my workflow far more efficient and effective. Final Surge syncs easily with a number of GPS watches and various other tracking platforms to import all the data you'd ever need to analyze. The mobile app is incredible, and it makes on-the-go check-ins and communication easy and seamless. I couldn't do what I do without Final Surge, and I can't recommend it enough to other coaches, regardless of the level of athlete they work with. Final Surge is cost-effective for coaches, and athlete accounts are 100% free. It's great for coaches of all types and levels, whether you coach individual athletes like I do, high school and college teams, or even a club. Athletes can find training plans from a number of world-class coaches, including my own, and coaches, you can get a 10% discount on your first purchase of a coaching account using the coupon code MORNINGSHAKEOUT. That's MORNINGSHAKEOUT, all caps, no the, all one word, when you check out at finalsurge.com. Go to finalsurge.com slash morningshakeout to purchase a training plan written by yours truly to find more information about coaching packages or to check out a 14-day coaching trial. My thanks to Final Surge for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. How did you land on how you, I guess, coach yourself or train yourself personally? Because we'll get into the specifics of it here in a bit, but how I first kind of came 
became aware of you is looking at what you were doing on Strava leading up to CIM. And there was stuff in there like 30 to 31 mile training runs where you're going out running like 515 per mile, which I mean, that's going to win a lot of like smaller marathons like on its <laughs> own. And you're doing this like, you know, as a training run, I mean, you're still a relatively young marathoner. I mean, I think you've run what, five of them, maybe four or five of them. If yeah. That. Well, um, I mean, duration wise, I've been, I've been a marathoner for about 18 months. Yeah, officially. Yeah. But yeah. when did you land on, you know, this training philosophy for yourself that you thrived off these like, you know, longer, more intense, but not all out type of runs, higher volume, mixing in right kind of intensity at the right time. I'm just genuinely curious how you got there. It probably started... Um, when my wife went out of town one November. So she went out of town and I was bored because I don't know what, I didn't know what to do. Um, and I, and I could do whatever I want, you know, cause my wife's out of town. <laughs> no, but, um, I don't know why I did this, but I remember it was my, I think my fifth year in college, but she went out of town and I just went out and I ran 30 miles. Um, and it was a couple of weeks after the cross country season had ended. So I was in decent shape, but I also was like, kind of like half running. Cause it was kind of like my break. Um, so this was right after college. This was actually, During? no, I was still in college at the time. Um, so you were how old? 23, maybe 22, 23. Okay. It was my fifth year. So it was my, my redshirt senior season. So I finished cross country was going into track, but it was like still November. So I didn't, wasn't really worried about track yet. Um, so yeah, I just went on a 30 mile run and I don't know why it just was, fun. but, but I, yeah, I'd been barely running those two weeks. So it was pretty hard. Cause once I, around like 28 miles or so, like I was, I like, I was like, Oh, this hurts. So I was like, I, I slowed down to like seven fifteen pace or something for the last couple of miles. And then I had a class. I don't know if I actually had planned to run 30 miles. It just happened. I, well, I, I went out for the run and then I'm like, okay, I have like three and a half hours till class. So I could run for about three hours or three hours and 15 minutes and like then make class. So I played the, the timing was pretty close. Cause I got back to my apartment Barely made it up the stairs, really. And then I'm like, okay, I got like 15 minutes to get to class. And you can barely move at this point. Yeah, because like you, it's just the pain is so um, just weird. So I, I made it to class. I rode my bike on the campus. It was terrible. And then the next year, so I had graduated. Um, my wife went out of town again in November, right around the same time. I'm like, all right, well, if I did 30 miles last year, I got to do 32 miles this year. <laughs> so I, I did that and... I don't know why, really. Um, Does your wife ever leave you home alone anymore? <laughs> you know, we always joke whenever, like, I, whenever she leaves, like, how far am I going to run? Um, but, yeah, so, like, even when I was in college or, like, not, you know, not training for marathons yet, I just like to do these really long runs. And they just kind of came naturally to me. I, I don't know. Had don't you know done why. a number of, like, 20-plus mile runs while you were still in college? Or was that first 30-mile run a big jump for you? I had done, I had ran a, my freshman year, I actually ran a marathon after the cross country season. Um, I didn't have a watch or GPS though, so I can't verify that. I just, 
I knew the mileage routes and I just kind of added them all together. And then I ran an extra little loop just to make sure that, okay, I probably got a marathon in. Um, but no, in, in college, it was mostly, most of my long runs were between 18, maybe 20. I think I had one 22 miler, but they were mostly 20 mile runs, but they were hard. Uh, my senior year, you know, I would, most of my runs were around 18 miles at around 530 pace. My best was, uh, I averaged 522 pace, I think, for 18 miles. Um, so I do pretty hard long runs, like almost like marathoners would do. Um, so then dropping down to like 605 pace or so, I felt like that was, it felt comfortable for 30 miles. I mean, obviously I was pretty sore and like beat up after that, but I, I didn't really think about it. It just seemed like I'll just go out and do it. What is it about the hard long run that energizes you and gets you excited? I just was, I don't know. I just, I like to run fast. Um, running easy isn't like that fun to me. So it's like, it, it makes the long runs go by easier if you run them fast. Um, but I don't know. I just, I just like it. I think also I started really researching running and Renata Canova was a, a big influence on like my training philosophies. So as I was reading about him in college, like he really emphasizes even for his steeplechasers because he, he had coached the um, world record holder in the steeplechase or at least he was at the time. And uh, he would do these really hard long runs like 35 to 40 K like at like 510 pace. Like some like when I was reading, I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. And he's a steeplechaser. So I kind of just bought into that and be like, okay, like these long runs can make you better. And when I started doing them, I just, like, I just really liked it and they just pumped me up. Um, so I don't really know. It was, it was partly like a training aspect and then I also liked it. So it just kind of worked out that I felt it made it better and I, it, I felt that it made me better and I liked it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got started. Toward the end of your college career at Arizona State, how are you thinking about your future in running at that time? This is so. I, I was actually thinking about this uh, either yesterday or today, but I've always had this like weird thing in my mind that like I was going to be like a great runner, like on a world stage, like whether it's getting an Olympic medal or I don't know exactly what it would be, but like just being like a like a world-class runner basically and like since elementary school I've just like had that um and I know that like everyone kind of has that like you know when you're a kid growing up basketball you dream of playing in the NBA um but I always felt like my feeling just felt different because it wasn't this dream that I concocted myself obviously I wanted to be good but like I was kind of okay with not making it to that level because it's like again I'm very analytical very logical the odds of that are were crazy low. Like I, I knew as a, even a elementary kid, like a sixth grader, like that those odds were so low. Like, you know, I, I could maybe be good, but I wasn't going to be like that world probably wasn't going to be like on a world stage, but yet I still had this feeling like that, that was just going to happen. Like that's just, it's just in me. That's what I'm going to be. And so going through college, going through that two and a half years of just that running slump, it was so annoying. Cause I still had that feeling. And I'm like, this is this is, I can't, I'm getting dead last. And like, I was dead last in a few races. I'm running like 407 for the 1500. Why do I still have this feeling? Like it, like, I don't even want it. It's just like, you I couldn't shake it. Yeah. And, um, and I, like, I remember telling some people, it's just like, I don't know. It's just weird. And then, so then when I was towards the tail end of my career, like 
obviously, like, I had a little bit of success, but I wasn't good enough to go pro. I, I wasn't going to get a contract. I maybe could have joined, like, a small running group just, you know, to have some people to run with, and people would have maybe accepted me in their little groups. Um, but I was married, and I wanted to coach, and so I knew, like, I didn't really want to go down that route. So I was I was pretty content with my competitive running days being over. Um, but I still had that that feeling, and I, I was... I remember being frustrated a few times because I'd, I'd go into church and like it just there's like this weird connection with me between running and God. And I don't really know how to explain it. But every time I'd go into church, I'd had that feeling again. And I'm just like, God, like I'm honestly like I'm pretty content. Like I don't have like I know my life is way more about ru- way more than just running. Like You were ready to close that chapter. Yeah. Like obviously, like I'd love to be a world class runner. Like I love it. Like that'd be awesome. But like I know like there's so much more in my life and so many more things I can do. And like my life isn't just running, you know, and I was like, obviously, like I knew I'd like miss running. Like I, I would try to admit that, but I really f- did feel content, but I'd still have this feeling and I'm like, well, it's over now. Like it's officially over. I'm done. I'm running like 40 miles a week, just kind of having fun. Like I'm not competing. Um, but it, it did never really went away. And then I don't really know. I just, I really just fell into the marathon. I just came back from China and ran a 5k and then decided I'd run my hometown marathon. And then what's it pause now there. I'm here. <laughs> what were you doing in China? Okay. Uh, so I, so my first semester out of college, I got to work with 25 Chinese, their um, college professors and college track and field coaches. So they come to the United States for this program where they learn about the NCAA. They learn about coaching methods in the United States. They kind of learn about cultural stuff too. Um, but they're really there just to understand like how we train. You know, the NCAA is like a high level sport. So they want to learn from us. Um, and so they come and they observe practices and coaches give lectures um, since it's in the fall, it's very difficult for our, our head cross country coach to really um, to really head that program because he's you know leading a team like he's bu- he's busy in the fall like every other college coach. So he's like, I can't do this program because it's hours a day that you're giving lectures and you're leading them all around. So he basically hired me to to do, be that person, um, which I was totally underqualified for. I never coached. I mean, I'd help. You were out. just an athlete on the team. Well, I had graduated, so okay. I just graduated. I mean, I, I knew stuff about running, and and you know, because I'd done a lot of research and I'd put stuff together. Um, so I wasn't, I guess, I wasn't the average athlete, but but still, like, I was literally their track and f- I was their long distance coach instructor. So I taught um, about twenty five lectures of like two to three hours each about running to people that I've coached for like 10, 15 years. (laughs) Somehow, like, I feel like I just kind of got lucky. I don't know, but they just really liked me and they thought I was like knowledgeable, I guess. And they, uh, we had a great relation. I loved working with them. They were awesome. Um, And we just built these friendships. And so basically my wife and I went to China basically to go visit them. So we went to six different cities and there was around like three or four of them in each each city. So we ended up seeing around like, 20 or maybe even 22 out of the 25. So it was, it was really awesome. But yeah, that was a, a job that I'll never forget. And it just, it just Talk I about know, being just thrown into the fire. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. They were so nice too. Like I credit them. Cause it's like, if it was, I felt like if it was the same group, like if I was coaching 25 American 
professors, they would just kind of be like, I, I'm not, this kid, he's just a kid that doesn't really. But these guys, like, they were just willing. They just kind of just bought in and listened, and they ended up, like, they, they voted. <laughs> they I had one of them write a letter of recommendation for me because we were really close, and apparently in her letter she wrote that I was the only like coach or like instructor in this because there was other sports too so out of all the sports I was the only person that got like like the five-star rating well I don't know what they called it but like the highest ratings for all of the stuff so apparently they really liked me and thought I was really great but (laughs) yeah I was just I don't I don't know okay so let's fast forward back to your return from China you jump in this 5k which race was that and what did it do for you? So this is a Miguel Reyes 5K. It's on the 5K course um, that they host the CIF state championships for. So like <clears throat> I ran, I mean, I've run that so many times. Um, and so I finally broke my high school PR. I ran 1442. Um, and there's some good runners in the race. Um, this year, um, I don't remember who was all in it this year, but the last year that people were in it, I remember Daniel Tapia is a, you know, pretty yeah. legit marathoner. And I mean, it was a 5k, but I was just nobody. And I beat him. I, I, I kind of came from behind him and passed him right at the end, but I was like, still like, this is a, I don't know what his PRs are like 212 or so he's, he's run some legit times. And I was like, I don't care if it's a 5k. Like I beat this guy and he's pretty good. And I've been running like for like, four weeks. I mean, cause I, I didn't really run a whole lot in China. Um, and I haven't been serious, seriously training. And so I was like, wow, this is like, I just kind of, I was like, I got this competitive edge. Um, and, and it sounds like it almost like reawoke a giant, so to speak. Yeah. In a way. Cause I was just like, Oh, this is like what it feels like to be competitive again against like people exactly. that I know are really good. And even like, Fernando Cabado, you just talked to, like, called me and was like, you ran pretty fast there. Like, I don't know if I could run that fast on that course right now. Like, you know, you should look into, like, getting back, like, doing some races. And and I was already thinking about it at the time, like, like, because, like, I did, I've always had it in my mind I wanted to do a marathon at some point. I just, it was more kind of a for fun thing, but. Is that the confirmation you needed to take that next step? Uh, I was, I was going to do it anyways. I think I'd already planned to do the marathon, but it was definitely more, it was definitely, um, an, an addition to that confirmation. Like, okay, like I can train a little bit more seriously because like, it's just validation that if you put in a little bit more work, that was the word I was looking for validation. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just started training for two, the two cities marathon here in Fresno and wasn't planning to qualify for the Olympic trials, but, um, what was your goal for that race? I honestly, I didn't have a goal. I just was just going to run. I mean, cause it's not a compet it's not a real competitive marathon. I mean, usually the winners around two high two thirties, maybe two forties. So it was just to run and to do one. Um, obviously like I'm not good at running easy. So I was trying to run somewhere in the two twenties probably, but I'd never set a time goal. Um, but shortly into my training, I, I kind of realized like, I can qualify for the trials. And then once I kind of reached that point, then that became a goal. But I didn't really want to tell anybody. Um, so I just kind of kept it to myself. This was 2018? Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I'll probably run around like 220 or something and then maybe do a faster marathon later on. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm in shape. I'm going to kind of go after it and get the mark. <laughs> so how did it play out? So I, I just went out and uh, it's crazy because the first half just feels like so easy. And I was like clicking off some like, 
like high five O's and like five ten, and and I realized like I was way under pace halfway for for two nineteen. Um, around like mile twenty, um, it got a little bit harder because there's a little hill and. Um, you know, but I knew I had a lot of time to play with. So I had some like 520s in there. And then the last few miles, my calves were starting to cramp. And I was like, all I have to do is run like six minutes for these last couple of miles. Like I have like a minute and a half bu- buffer. So I just kind of like started running on my heels to stretch on my calves. And then, I mean, that was only like maybe a half mile. They were really tight and then it went away. And then, yeah, just ran in and it was 217 and was like, cool i just made the olympic trials like that's yeah and where did things go from there how were you thinking about your running trajectory from that point because you just hit the trials qualifier so you're in are you thinking like okay i can sort of sit pretty now until the trials in 2020 or did you know you had to gain some more experience did you want to up the ante in your training i'd love to dig into that a little bit more trying to think back to my thought process to be honest I don't think there was much of a thought process I like I am very competitive so it's like anything I do like I want to you know be, well. go- be good at but um yeah I just kind of kept running and just kept having fun with it I had like a little bit of little like Achilles injury that that winter um and then I don't know, that spring I didn't really have like a set thing of what I was going to do. I kind of thought I was going to do, or I'd signed up and talked to the people at Grandma's Marathon and I was going to do Grandma's. And then I got, somehow I just got got into doing the indoor marathon. And then, yeah, I ran that and like, oh, actually I ran a marathon two weeks before and then did the indoor marathon. Um, And those were like 216 and the 217 and the indoors. Um, within a few weeks of each other. Yeah. And I did the Sectown 10 in between those. Have you always recovered pretty quickly? Cause I'm, you have to, to be able to do that in such yeah. short proximity. No, yeah. Since I'd say even since I've been running, like I've always felt like I've recovered quickly. Um, I don't, I don't know why I just do. Do you have particular strategies that you follow or are there some non-negotiables like sleep and nutrition that you think have contributed to that? sleep is yeah you definitely have to sleep um i don't know i mean part is, i think part is is just genetics like i couldn't i couldn't sit here and tell you my whole regimen and then you go do it and then you can just go out and run a 50k and then the next day you wake up and run your normal mileage and you're fine like it's probably not going to happen so in a way i'm just that's just how i am um but yeah i mean i do do a lot of things to try to help that so sleeping is huge. Like if I don't know how people live when they don't sleep eight hours a night. Like if I get a couple nights in a row that are like at like seven or like seven and a quarter. You can feel or it. Or under that. Like it's, oh man, I don't even like, even if I wasn't running, like I don't even know how you like, people are just, man, they're very great that they can live like that because I just I can't even imagine it um I don't sleep a ton like I don't I can't sleep like 10 hours a night or 11 hours a night but right around like eight to nine hours like that's like I I have I need that or like I'm gonna fall apart like I can't do anything like when I have a kid gosh I don't know what's gonna happen to me <laughs> no, I just I don't know but um yeah so sleeping I try to eat well and then just doing little things like I'm constantly like doing little like 
mobility things like subconsciously like people are people always make comments like you're always stretching or you're always doing some weird thing and I'm like I guess I am like I'm always moving my hips around I'm always like moving my ankles and kind of doing stuff so I think some of the stuff I don't even realize I'm doing just keeping blood flow um but now I have these little recovery boots um I have air relaxes I'm not sponsored by them but I think everyone should get them because they're like four hundred dollars and I don't like Normatex are great but they're, they're like three times as much they're really expensive and they're kind of the same i mean i don't want to like speak you know against different companies but like i love my air relaxes so they're they do the job i think um and i felt like they were worth actually i got 50 dollars off because they had a coupon so <laughs> they were definitely worth the 350 dollars plus my wife uses them too um so you're getting your money's worth out of them yeah so yeah um well, I think all that stuff aside, what really strikes me in this conversation is you seem to have a very high level of self-awareness, whether it's understanding what it is that works for you from a training standpoint, like you figured out kind of through some trial and error, some self-experimentation that, oh, I respond really well to these like longer steady runs and they actually don't take as much out of me as say maybe a, an interval workout does. Like I'm going to like focus on that, whether it's like with the sleep and recovery thing, you're like, you know what? I, I know that I need eight to nine hours a night to, to sleep. And I figure that out over time. Like it's kind of like a, like you're aware enough to know like, okay, I need to do that in order to be successful. And then even with some of this other little stuff, like experimenting with, you know, mobility things or other kind of recovery modalities, you, you also strike me as someone who's like not afraid to self-experiment either. Oh, use, bet use yourself as a little bit of a I guinea pig. I purely self <laughs> Yeah, I pretty much only self-experiment. Well, we're all an experiment see, of one. Yeah, you should see my room though. I mean, there's I have so many essential oils and like random vitamins and stuff like just all this stuff. I mean, my, people think I'm... Well, my wife mainly just thinks I'm crazy, but well, let's dig I into that it, because yeah. your brother-in-law Seth Totten emailed me before <laughs> this conversation. He's like, "Ask CJ about some of these things." He said you got into like kombucha for a while, and oh yeah. you went on Craigslist and found like these mother cultures of kombucha <laughs> from someone, and you got like enough of them that I think you ended up giving one to like your father-in-law or something like that, and maybe Seth like. Well, no, you only have to, you only have to get one, and then they they grow because okay. you keep. Basically, kombucha is, is literally just bacteria. So, like, probiotics, like, that's just bacteria that's living in you. Um, you have good bacteria and bad bacteria. So, the the kombucha is, like, supposed to be good bacteria, and but it's expensive. So, I'm like, well, what if I – can you just make it? And I found out it's not that hard to make. Um, so, it saves you three bucks a bottle. You know, you can make – kombucha is just made with tea and sugar, which is practically free. I mean, sugar is, like – yeah. So – um, so yeah, so you have to get the, the culture. So it's basically, it's called a SCOBY and it's just this big block of basically bacteria. It's really weird, but so you like went and I person like freezer zipped it and I bought it from this lady, um, went back home. I made the mixture of tea and sugar and then you let it sit in there and ferment and you let the bacteria basically just multiply cause it's feeding on the sugar and the tannins and the tea apparently. Um, yeah, so then it multiplies, and then you make more scobies come from that. So they start, to, like, you have these, they kind of look like thick pancakes. Um, and so when you can't just have a jug full of scobies because then you don't have any liquid kombucha, so you have to get rid of them. So I would, I gave some to Seth, I gave some to my father-in-law and kind of pass them out. And <laughs> but, yeah, so that was a phase of making the kombucha. It was great. Um, it just, when we were, li we were living in a studio apartment, 
um, which is 410 square feet. And kombucha kind of smells when you're brewing it because you mean you're growing bacteria in your house or in your 410 square foot apartment. <laughs> so it's basically like 10 feet from our bed. Uh, and then fruit flies kind of got in there because I we left for a couple weeks and I didn't have someone refeed it. Like you got to keep the bacteria fed or else things happen. So it, I ended up throwing them out and I just never got back into it. I'm sure I will one day. Now I'm making my own yogurt. I just use those as my probiotics. But that's super easy, way more simple. You just put the milk in the Insta pot, you boil it, you take off the top layer and then you throw some yogurt, some previous yogurt in, and then you hit the button on the Instapot. So <laughs> let's dig into a few more things. Okay, so yeah, Seth this. told me you cross the finish line at CIM and he goes and he wraps a flag around you. You're the top American finisher and he gives you a hug and he's like, he's like, the dude just smelled like peppermint <laughs> because he's been using all of these different, trying to find the right oil mixture. What's that all about? Yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know how I got so into essential oils, um, I'm not, I'm not like one of those essential oil reps. Like I'm not going to go try to make you sit down with me for a few hours and make you be a essential oil distributor. That, that's not what it is. <laughs> You're not running a pyramid scheme. No. no. <laughs> yeah, no. I just like the oil. I like the, re some of the research is, I mean, some of it's not great, you know, and, and some of it's like, I don't know how, I'm not going to say any of this stuff is proven, but um, some of the research is worth looking into and definitely worth experimenting, um, even if it's just for the placebo effect and just the way, because it, it will make you feel a certain way and, and it does have smells and those smells um, can, you know, your, your brain is always associating smells with things and um, so, and you know, you st I think it's like in your amygdala or something, you store your your, your smells and your memories. So it's like, if I have the same smell every time I do a hard workout, it's like, okay, I have the smell. I know it's go time. Um, so even if it's just for that, like it helps. But I do think there are some things where it helps and it, I like the routine. So I have, yeah, I have a lot of peppermint. Um, I have this one, I don't even know how to say it. It starts with a C, but um, there's like a, there's like a, like one of the big anti-inflammatory compounds in CBD oil. This, particular essential oil has, um, I think it has more percentage wise than CBD oil has. So I just use that one cause it's way cheaper cause it's not as marketed. So it's a lot cheaper than CBD oil. Um, and then like eucalyptus is good for breathing and there's some good studies on that. Um, those are like three big ones. And then I kind of experiment with a bunch of different ones, but yeah, I just, there's a lot of research and you can believe what you want, but I like to experiment with it on myself and sometimes with our community college athletes and they seem to like it too. <laughs> <laughs> Has that ever gotten you into trouble? What? Just self-experimenting with these different things or do you ever worry about that getting you into trouble? I, I research things like a lot. So I, I don't like, I wouldn't say I do things like recklessly. Like I just like take some random thing and like take it. In, like I research it a lot. Pretty like, calculated about it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Like it's, if I, cause one, because I'm really cheap, I, I like to say thrifty or like frugal, frugal, but some people say cheap. <laughs> so like before I'm going to spend money on something like it, there's got to be like, I got to be convinced that there's a decent chance at least that it'll be beneficial. So there's a lot of research that goes into it before. Um, I no, So I've never had any really anything bad. <laughs> there's just sometimes where things have been inconvenient. Like I, <laughs> 
Uh, my wife is gonna love listening to this. We made a um. I'm not we. She had no part in it. <laughs> I made. I was kind of hurt because I had this perineal injury from steeplechase. Because every time I steepled, I'd roll on the outside of my ankle yeah, and it's tear brutal up my, on the body. Yeah, I tear up my perineal. So, um, I made this bath <laughs> with this like rubber crate we had, and I I made I had this special tea that I have. That was probably one of Seth's questions, but I had this special tea. Is this the tea from Asia? Yeah, so I poured the tea in there, and then I poured, like, turmeric, cayenne pepper, anything that was said to be anti-inflammatory, I poured it in there, um, poured in a bunch of essential oils, um, Epsom salt, like, everything. Like, I'm just, like, I'm just going to soak in this. Master concoction. For, like, yeah, for, like, 30 minutes, a couple times a day or whatever. Well, okay, turmeric, one, it just, it's so, it stains everything. The cayenne pepper is a terrible idea to bathe in just imagine where you're getting pepper places <laughs> and like some of the essential oils too like aren't great to have just directly on your body so um yeah so my skin because I also made some muscle rubs with turmeric and cayenne pepper and my skin would be stained yellow like I remember showing my college teammates can attest to this but I'd show up to some runs and they'd be like CJ why are your legs like so yellow like what the, and like it's my muscle rub and they're like that was all I had to say because they knew I did weird stuff so I had everything was yellow at one point in our apartment from the <laughs> turmeric and I'd have it all over my body it stained everything but then I this bath it just wasn't a great idea but I didn't I didn't know what to do with it and it was so heavy and we were in a second story apartment eventually we had to get rid of it and I couldn't dump it in the bathtub like we had to dump it outside so we were trying to carry this thing and it was so heavy and was just so messy and i wish we had it on video because it's just the color i mean it was it looked so yeah looked so disgusting but that was probably the worst thing everything else has been okay one time i bought a 10 pound fish or 10 pound box of um fish because it was on sale like i don't remember what fish but my roommates didn't like that phase because the house always smelled. Or the apartment. That, or no, yeah, it was a house that we rented always smelled. But. So you're your own man <laughs> in so many ways. It's, yeah, I guess so. Not afraid to be full CJ Albertson. Yeah. I try, I try to be considerate of other people. Like if it's going to affect someone else, I try to be considerate. I remember I'd – because I would make a lot of smoothies in college, so I'd make my smoothies before practice. And then we had to wake up early anyways, but then like my – my blender would wake up my roommate five minutes earlier than he wanted to wake up. So I would try to like hide it in the corner of my room, put blankets on top of the blender. Muff the sound. To like muff the sound, like so that, you know, it wouldn't affect him. Because um, I, I do want to be considered. I don't want my weird quirkiness and weirdness to like, na- like you know, I want to be aware of what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I, I love it. I love that you're not ashamed of it. And even if it can be, embarrassing at points or your wife or yeah. friends. Well, I don't feel embarrassed. Pe- people close to you are like, <laughs> CJ is a total weirdo. You're like, I don't really care. I'm just I'm just being me and I'm just doing what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You've mentioned your wife a few times in this conversation. Where'd you guys meet? We met in college. So she was a year below me. So my sophomore year, her freshman year, she was on the cross country and track team. And you guys got married before you left Arizona State? Yeah. So it was my fifth year, her um, fourth year. And how has your relationship grown in the time that you've been together? 
I think with I mean with anything like time your relationship grows um but I think just being with her she just like I can't I can't really imagine living now without her um not just because like she does things for me which she does she does a lot of she makes my life easier in practical ways but I just can't imagine living without her because I just feel like she just makes me so much better of a person just in like everything I do um and so in college, like just being with her, like I, I just felt like I was so much more um, stable with her. And like, obviously, like that was during that time, I had my biggest ups and downs or more downs that I, that I talked about earlier. Um, but she just helped bring this like stability to me. And if you just, if you've met her, she's just, she's very kind, but she's also just, she has this like peace about her and this like mellowness that it just like you just feel good and like safe around her and like it just like you I don't know it just kind of calms everything down and um and then I think yeah like I she just allows she really encourages me to be myself so even my weird things like she's never like try to get me to not do something like she'll want me to be considerate of her while I'm doing my weird stuff and you know not make a mess out of everything um but she's never like discouraged me from being me. Um, and she's always encouraged it. And uh, I think has definitely made me a better runner, but just made me a better overall person and just being more considerate and the things that she notices in people or just like little things that she picks up on that like I just totally overlook. Like she helps me recognize those things so that I can start to recognize those things and just, just be a better, more observant person. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, she's like, if you can get married and have a great spouse, like do it. I don't, sometimes people are like against marriage and it's like, has nothing to do with getting married and signing papers. It's like, you're going to live with someone who's like, makes you so much better than you are right now individually. And like, I don't know, sometimes that idea seems weird to people. Like they need someone else, but it's like, it's awesome. Like it's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's marriage is not for everyone, but it's a blessing yeah. to have someone like that in yeah, your no, life. Yeah, I don't want to, you can still, sorry, you can still be super successful, like be an awesome person. Like you can still do everything not married. It's just, if, if you can't, like if it works out that way, like it's great. So don't discourage it. Yeah. And, and maybe for some people it's not a spouse. It can be yeah. someone else who is just fulfilling that role for, you know, different things in, in someone's life, but just to have, you know, that person who's there supporting you or that network of people who are there supporting you through your various endeavors that you can lean on when you need to, it's, it's super important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Definitely. <laughs> your wife is also a heck of a runner in her own right. She qualified for the trials at CIM. So you're both going to be in Atlanta, like seven, seven and a half weeks from now. What was that feeling like? Because you also ran CIM. You finished second. We'll talk about that here in a minute. I imagine you hung around, waited for her to finish. When you saw her cross the line in 243 in change, what did that do inside of you? Obviously, I was really proud and excited. Um, also kind of expected. And like, I, I just thought she was going to do it, to be honest. Like, I just, like, if she would have ran under 240, I wouldn't have been surprised. Um but it was still like, I mean, it was her first, I kind of got it, got her to do the indoor marathon with me. So technically that was her first marathon, but she wasn't, this was like her first real big one. Um, 
so yeah, just seeing her cross the finish line, I was upstairs on this balcony kind of watching. So I got to like be like right over her, like as she, like she finished and just watching it. And yeah, I mean, it was just awesome. Um, like she, like she doesn't necessarily love like the long runs and like isn't necessarily wired the same way I am, but she's still very competitive and wants to, to do well. And so like, I knew it was challenging for her, like the, some of the training because she was in nursing school and had internships and had just a lot going on and was just really tired most of the days um, and couldn't do a lot of workouts. And she's more of a person that lo- likes the speed stuff, like likes doing track workouts and feeling fast and running a fast 15. Like, so that's, complete opposite of you. Yeah, maybe not complete opposite. Like she's not a sprinter, but like, yeah, pretty much opposite for distance runners. But it's like she couldn't really do that and didn't get to be on the track a lot and um didn't have a lot of energy to do those high intensities so like a lot of the times her only workouts were long runs which isn't what she like she doesn't really i don't think she dislikes them but like it's not her first love when it comes to running um but she just did them anyways and and got herself into a position to be able to qualify and like now we get to go together and like we can both be running and just sharing that experience um and for me, it's like I, it just gives me, I just feel like that's going to help almost Fuel like you. selfishly. I feel like that's going to help me so much. Just having her right. there doing the same thing. Like it just, anytime I've ever been at a meet or a race with her, I'm just, it just feels way better. Like I don't like, I went to San Jose and did a rock and roll San Jose last year and Chelsea wasn't there and it just wasn't, I don't know. I just didn't. Something was missing. Yeah, like obviously I'm gonna have to run without her. Like I can't rely on her for everything, but it is so much nicer to have her there, and it really I think just helps me run my best. Um, and I hope that I hope it's reciprocal. It's the same. I I can help her run her best too. And well, you just described how she supports you in different ways. Let's flip that around. How have you supported her and her pursuits while she's in nursing school and juggling all of these things? I I think I just try to help her just keep like a balanced mindset with it because it, I mean it's hard like she she doesn't necessarily like have the aspirations to like try to make the team or like be like a world class marathoner but she does still want to be competitive she wants to run and have fun with it but still be good at the same time because like being good is fun you know so um so just trying to help her realize like what she needs to do to like achieve that because she's she's very like she's very she wants specific workouts she wants a specific plan um and she wants like things to go in like a certain order um because that's how she feels comfortable and confident whereas like me i just kind of like i'm like well you don't need time just go out and run like your body's gonna run what's gonna run and she's like no (laughs) like i want a time so just helping her be like okay you're really tired today or like you've had all this like you may not be able to work out today like that's okay like you can still have a good race like you've done it before you've had good races when you didn't feel like you were in good shape other people have maybe their only workouts or long runs for a few weeks or even for a whole training block and they still ran great marathons like you can still achieve what you want and make you know qualify for the trials like even if all these things go wrong so just trying to like help her be more flexible and just be like, you know, like she'd go out to do a workout and she'd come back and be like, I couldn't do the workout. I just ran really slow for eight miles. And it's like, 
okay, like that's that's what you had today. That's okay. Like it yeah. doesn't obviously like the workout would have been good, but doesn't matter. Like it does matter, but doesn't really like you're gonna be fine. Um, and so just trying to do that, and then just trying to listen to her. And I mean, I'm still figuring. Like I'm not close to a perfect husband. Still trying to figure out how I can best support her, um, because I'm. I'm only three and a half years in. She has a faster learning curve than I do. It's taken me more time to figure out how to support her. She's figured out me fast, I think. Dude, the women in our life are, I can say something about <laughs> yeah. my, my own wife. Like she's just on another level yeah. than, than I am. Like she, she picks up on things a lot faster than yeah. I do. I feel like she's always like three steps ahead and I'm just, I'm just trying to keep up. But I mean, Similar to what you said, she just makes me better in, in every way. So I, yeah. I, can, I can totally understand that. It sounds like we, we both married well, I guess, in, yeah. in, in that instance. A um, couple more things before we wrap up here. I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on CIM at all. You finished second overall, I mean, just a little over a month ago, uh, 213 and change PR for you. That was like 12 weeks before the trials. What did that race do for you three months out from Atlanta? It just validated that I can run with good people because I always knew that I could. Um, I had ran just under 215 um, like about like five weeks earlier at, at the same um, marathon that I debuted here, debuted in here in, in Fresno. Um, so I knew I could run fast, but it was like, can I race well? Like, can I be in a competitive situation and like get it done? Um, cause fitness is one thing, but racing is another thing. And, you know, there's some good people in the field and, and the guy that won, he was a 209 marathoner. He won LA. Um, he's won CIM before he's won grandma's if, like, three times or something like that. So he was a good competitor. And, and when I look at the Olympic trials, um, there's not that many people with better resumes than him. And I ran toe to toe with him pretty much the whole race and, you know, I think if we ran that race again, like, you know, I could change some things and maybe I'd beat him. Maybe I wouldn't, but I at least had a shot. Like, I, I mean, four seconds, like that's like legitimately, you can say like I was in the race. Um, so I think just having that, knowing that I can run with people that have won big races and ran really fast, that just gives me some confidence that when I go to the trials, like I can run with these people that are good. I can compete. Um, I can, you know, beat people that I've ran similar times too. And I can compete with people that have ran faster than me. Do you still have that feeling that you've had since you were a little kid that's telling you, you can make an Olympic team, you can compete at an international level. And is that feeling stronger than it's ever been if it's still there? Yeah, I definitely still have that feeling, um, almost, almost every day like that. <clears throat> there's, yeah, pretty much every day there's this little voice that's like, I'm going to be there. And sometimes it's louder and sometimes like it, you know, I'm not audibly saying that. But um, yeah, I don't know if it will be this year. Like, I really don't know what that means. I I'm, I don't try to put any like stipulations on it because it's like, again, like I know logically like the odds, like even going into these Olympic trials, like I think I'm like 41st on the list or somewhere around there and my time's from CIM. So like, people could make the argument that like maybe I should be further down the time. You know, like I get the odds um, and I know how hard it is to, to make a team and what you have to do and how good these, you know, some of the Americans have, have been and have ran and what they're doing. 
Um, but I still definitely have that feeling. And I don't, again, I don't know how it's going to play out, but it does make running really fun. Cause as I'm like, as I'm starting to see, you know, as I'm running faster, it's like, I can kind of see how like this actually could be realistic. Like it's like, I can see how like it could happen. Cause the way I train or the way I'm able to train the things I've done, is like not that many people can do that or not that many people do it maybe they can do it they just choose not to um but so maybe maybe there is something to it like maybe this feeling is a little valid like and that's definitely very exciting I mean I'm so pumped up every time I'm running it's like maybe not every time I'm running but most times you run but like it's just yeah running it's just so fun right now and hopefully I mean I'm sure it won't always be like that but right now it's like I just love running it's exciting you know and I'm just taking it day by day, just enjoying it. But you're going to go in there and give yourself a shot. Oh yeah. I'm, I, oh, what do you have to lose? If you heard, I mean like I, it'd be so funny if you could, I mean, it'd be funny with any runner, but if you could just put up a microphone in someone's head and just someone got to listen to like what (laughs) runners are saying to themselves every day while they're running. I mean, every day, like I'm just like, I've ran so many races in my head where it's just me and Rupp at the end and I just dust him the last 400 or, you know, fobbles there, awards there, and it kind of like drop him. Or it's like me and Jim Walmsley and we're, it's like five or like four or five miles in, like it's still the beginning of the race and we're just hammering the downhills and everyone's wrecked. Like by the end of the race, 22 miles in, everyone's quads and hamstrings are just ripped up because we've just been hammering every downhill. And, like, I'm just, like, no one's going to be able to walk the next morning. Like, I'm just, like, saying all this stuff, like, as I'm running because it's just, like, I want to be in a position to where, like, I'm actually in shape enough that, like, I can actually make moves in the race um, and run the race how I can run it. Because, obviously, like, people have run 209, careers ran 207, you know, rup is rup. Um, so it's like, if I'm not in good shape, it's like, no matter what I do, they're going to be running faster than me. So it's like, I can't, I'm not going to play a role or a factor. Like I can't push the downhills cause I'm not going to be lead. I'm not even going to be close to the front, you know? So I want to be in that position where I can take advantage of the race course and just really have fun with it. Cause I love running downhill. And if I can be near the front and we just roll like oh, it'd be so fun but i love it man i love seeing just the glow in your face as you're yeah, going just, through all of that and you can see some of those some of those thoughts that are in your head actually coming into the microphone like here we go this microphone is like trying to get into your head and like, yeah i appreciate you giving us some of that dialogue that is going on in there when you're out on on some of these training runs i think it's yeah. i think it's super cool no and some people say like you know i'm like crazy like they'll say like how can you run this and it's like yeah like i say i tell myself i'm a freak like pretty much every day like it's just like no like I actually do believe more people can just do these runs like they're not really that impressive to me but like in my head like I'm gonna play that up like I am like I can just train like as hard as I want and do these crazy runs and like that's just like that's just me like I can do that like I'm there's just something weird, different about me, and like so, I tell myself that all the time. Well, but that's how the great, fun. but yeah. that's how the great ones think. It's, oh, yeah, they're it's all almost, crazy. All the greats it, are crazy. <laughs> it's, it's almost, it's almost being delusional. Um, yeah. But you actually do believe it. But from the outside looking in, or maybe even in your own head, you're like, "This is delusional," but I'm going to believe it anyway. Because if you don't, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just not like everything that you just said. Like you, you've, you've still got to go in with like a high level of fitness. But you know, if you don't believe that you can make a move late in the race, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Like you're just not going to have that that confidence. You haven't rehearsed that scenario in your head beforehand. 
Yeah. So yeah, I rehearse a lot of scenarios, but I mean, I have a lot of miles to just <laughs> think. About. People always ask me what I think about. And I'm like, that's too long of an answer. There's so much weird stuff. <laughs> well, hey, I'd love to see it. I know at the end of that indoor world record marathon that you ran, you you dropped the last lap in like 30.8 seconds yep, or something that was like that. Definitely so. rehearsed too. I played that in my mind so many times before it actually happened. Except in my mind, I ran like 28 or something. But <laughs> you can oh. close. Last thing before we wrap up. Not to look too far past Atlanta, but what does the future hold for C.J. Albertson as a competitive athlete? Do you think this is something you're going to stick with for a while longer? Or are you going to reevaluate after the trials and sort of see where your head and your heart's at? I mean, I really hope that I, I continue running. I mean, it's I've only been doing marathons, yeah, for like 18 months, which is pretty short time. Um, and I look at a lot of people and they're running great in their 30s. So I'm thinking like, I have, you know, 2024 and 2028, I'll only be 34, which that could be a prime for a marathon. So I'm hoping that this is just the beginning. Um, but I mean, you never, I mean, life is, is life. And again, I'm, I'm more than, I'm not just a runner. Like I have other things in my life and I coach and I have, you know, a family and just my relationships with people are more important than anything I could ever do running. But I'm loving it right now. It it works out, um, and I'm going to put everything that I can into it. And, um, yeah, I mean, everyone wants me to do ultras. I don't I don't know. Maybe. You've already done them, dude. No, no, no. no. Like, act like. <laughs> Actual like, ultras. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll see. I don't know. A couple I of your training runs would have won 50K national titles the last few years on the roads. No joke. Yeah, well. I'm, They're not running 515 pace at the 50K well, national championships. Well, I don't know. I mean, I want to do. I want to see what I can do in the marathon um, first. Smart. And if I do, uh, if I do ultras, I'll do them, but I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just doing what I enjoy and, and we'll just, wherever that goes, that's where it goes. Well, I can appreciate that. I love your approach. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much for making the time. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. another episode in the books. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A big thank you to Final Surge for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Final Surge is the platform I use to run the coaching side of my business as well as plan my own training, and I really can't say how much of a game changer it's been for me and my athletes. The coaching tools have made planning and delivering training easy and seamless. Communication is completely streamlined into one easy-to-navigate portal, and it's made my workflow far more efficient and effective. Go to finalsurge.com slash morningshakeout to purchase a training plan written by yours truly to find more information about coaching packages or to check out a 14-day coaching trial. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford of bearsrecords.com. He's my audio ninja for this show and makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the editorial assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. I don't have a big team here at The Morning Shakeout, but these three guys play key roles in helping keep this ship afloat. Last thing, 
If you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. And you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 